Time keeps on leaving and we keep on moving. When do we pass on our wisdom to the youth? My veteran story lost our discussions, fireside chats with a bourbon or two. It's time to hear the stories by military veterans. Get yourself ready. It's the Lost Arts Podcast. The Lost Arts with Andrew Cox. Hello, hello my friends and welcome to the Lost Art Podcast. That podcast that's given a voice to our veterans. On today's episode, we will have a My Veteran Story with Navy veteran Doug Cooper. But before we get started with the episode, are you enjoying the podcast? Then consider becoming a TLA patron. That's the Lost Arts Patron. It is through donations that we are able to continue recording the podcast and getting our veteran voices out for all to hear. Just go to the Lost Art website and click on the Become a Patron link at the top. If becoming a TLA patron doesn't work for you and you would rather give a one-time donation, then go to the Lost Art website and scroll down until you see the donation link. Any donation is appreciated. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast and tell your veteran story, then email me at thelostartwithandrewcox at gmail.com. All right, all right. I'm back here with a My Veteran Story, and today we got uh, Doug Cooper with us. Doug, how you doing out there? I'm really good, AJ. Thanks Thanks for uh, having me in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, Doug, you're a retired Master Chief. Um, and, uh, where, and you worked in the, uh, submarines, uh, doing that. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. I done, I done 26 years. That's correct. 26 years. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, all right. Let's, let's kind of start at the beginning, go back. Uh, what kind of prompted you to want to join the Navy? Well, um, it actually kind of came about by accident. So I, I was actually born in Michigan and, um, my, Bring up the background in here because I think it sort of does come into play. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think my my parents split up when I was probably about three months old, um, okay. and I had two older brothers and an older sister, so there were four children. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> odd in those times, of course, but my, it, we did not end up with my mother. Um, oh wow! So uh, yeah, so I basically had grandparents, aunts, uncles, and a little bit of my father raising the four of us. And it mm-hmm. was pretty much whoever could take care of us at the time, be it one, two, three, or four of us. Right. So probably until I was six or so, and then my father remarried and, and, uh, and so I had a, a stepmom. And so at that point, finally, all, all four of us were together and right. with a stepmom. And, and frankly, that didn't go well. Let's just say that did not go well. Um, so, <laughs> so like, needless to say, so I, and I was 10 years old when, um, when, when I was, and we knew, we knew my grandparents and we knew all the family, but there was a large family on both sides. Right. And we knew all of them except to this point, I had never met my mother. She was not in the area. This was in Michigan, central okay. Michigan area. Uh-huh. Um, so at that point with my maternal grandparents, the four of us were going on vacation and we were going to Arizona and we were going to meet our mother uh-huh. um, for vacation for the summer. Right. Well, that was what we were told. The actual story was that my father was shipping us away 
um, because of my stepmother type thing. So, yeah, yeah, we went from one bad situation, frankly, into a worse situation. Um, with, yeah, well, well, you know, it is, it really is kind of what makes, what makes you who you are, I guess. So, yeah, true. Yeah. It is, it's all good. Um, ended up with a stepfather that was extremely abusive and those kind of things. Um, Mm -hmm. and then I, that's when I met my, my stepsister who was actually not, that's that for that man's daughter either, but that's a long story. Um, so there, so there was basically five of us kids and, um, and again, to get where I was at, my oldest sister made it through high school and, and, you know, graduated and moved out and done all those wonderful things that you do. Um, mind you, she's what, five years older than me. Yeah. So, um, and then that brother who was just under that, actually, you know, his, he went to his high school graduation, 17 years old and never came home. So oh, wow. he left at that mm-hmm. point. <laughs> the brother just above me at turned 18 December of his senior year and moved out the day he turned 18. Oh, so wow. that left me and my older sister and my younger sister there. She's three mm-hmm. years younger than me in, in this situation, which wasn't good. Um, right. So there I was six weeks from the end of my junior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, things got really bad one night and I left. Okay. Um, so basically I, I was a runaway and I used, I went and got help from my brothers and sisters uh-huh. who were in the area sort of still close by. And, uh, I got shipped back to Michigan. I spent some time in child protection services and then I got shipped back to my father in Michigan. Uh-huh. Um, came, I didn't, that's not where I wanted to be. I wanted to finish my high school. So I got, my oldest brother, my, who was, I'm 16, uh-huh. he's 19, and he okay. ended up with legal custody of me. He's oh, wow. newly married, 19, with a <laughs> his pregnant wife, and he's got custody of his 16-year-old brother. Yeah. Um, so that was a situation. Um, and mind you, the, my 18-year-old brother also lived with him. So oh, wow. picture yourself at 19, newlywed with a mm-hmm. you know pregnant wife, and your two brothers living with you yeah. in a very small house. But we made it work. Uh, so I finished yeah, yeah. my senior year of high school. I tried out college for a short while with, you know, some trying to get some grants and, and some, you know, student loans type thing. And, right. and, uh, it worked out for a short while, but frankly, I, I didn't have the maturity and, and all that. So mm-hmm. I, I quit that and, and repaid my student loans. Thank you very much. Yeah, but, um, nice. <laughs> so there I was. I got, I went back to, back to that little town and, um, I got two jobs and I'm working two jobs and, uh, you know, tiny got my, finally got my own tiny little apartment. And, mm-hmm. um, and I, and the job I was in, and this is how I get to where I was at the job I was in, I was basically a custodian. You know, I'd done all the maintenance and, and cleaning work for a large, it was like a, a garment factory. Okay. So, and that's all I'm doing. And I, you know, there's a lot of, I had a lot of fun there, mm-hmm. but then the job opened up in accounts receivable. And I'm like, you know, I've got a pretty good accounting background. I'm a pretty smart guy. I'm going to get into this job. So yeah. I did. But mind you, this is 1979. Okay. So computers were a new thing in the world. Mm-hmm. Well, our, our business was a you know, corporate owned and our major headquarters were in Los Angeles. They brought in some computer systems. They're going to teach me and the girl that worked at accounts payable how to operate this computer. Okay. So they did. They brought a guy over. He's teaching us things and we're watching him teach the boss other stuff. Well, mm-hmm. as soon as he leaves, of course, we're both going, now, how did he do that? <laughs> we want to see the things he done. Let's yeah. see if we can figure this out. 
So needless to say, two days later, we crashed the entire system, including uh-huh. the Los Angeles branch grid system. So wow. that was how I decided, you know, I want to learn this. This is going to uh-huh. be the future. I want to learn computers. Right. So I actually contacted a Navy recruiter uh-huh. um, and went in and took my tests. And of course, you know, and, and, and well, and somehow I somehow done really well. And they start pushing, you need to be in the Navy's nuclear power program. You need to be in the nuclear power program. Your scores are high enough. And so, of course, that sounds really cool. They can, they can preach a really good line. And so, <laughs> sure, sure. That sounds cool. I'm going to do nuclear power. Yeah. So yeah. that's how I ended up in the Navy. And I did, I wanted to do computers. That was the whole deal. And I ended up, uh, nuclear engineering and submarines. Wow. Um, but I have to say it, it's, it was probably more what I was, adapted for I'm, I'm not a i'm not a computer guy even to this day this stuff challenges me um i can understand but in, that <laughs> but engineering that's that's how i ended up in the navy and and i i went and i volunteered for submarines and i would not i would not change that i think so okay. it was oh, it was a, awesome. it's a different life it's a, it's a lot of people think differently you know they because they don't know and that's there's a good reason they don't know mm-hmm. um because that's that's what we do. Uh, but uh, I loved it. So, yeah, I um, went to boot camp in San Diego. So okay. you were a Marine, right? So, yeah, I don't know where you went yeah, to boot camp. I went at. to San Diego, yeah. Yeah, yeah, right across the fence from, fence from the Marines. That's right. Yeah. Um, obviously, Navy boot camp was not Marine boot camp. <laughs> we kind of, maybe, maybe we laughed at the guys over there because they were working a whole lot harder than we were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so I, I went there and. And again, you know, you, you, you've been through that. So you, mm-hmm. everybody goes through boot camp and some find it more challenging than others right. for whatever reason. Uh, you know, physically, I, I wasn't, you know, like the most fit guy or anything, but structure wise and, and that atmosphere kind of maybe even, even at that stage, the family atmosphere was good for me. Yeah. Was, that's, I, you know, something, you know, like you belong somewhere finally type thing. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I've done well in boot camp. I enjoyed boot camp. Actually, I, 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 I love, this is easy. I like this. Just, I just do what they say. This is not a problem. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I enjoyed that. Um, you know, went to boot camp and of course you come boot camp graduation, all these families are coming over and everybody's uh-huh. excited to see their family. And of course, you know, I, I don't have anybody there. Yeah. So this is, that's, yeah, but you, you kind of adapt other families and other mm-hmm. relevant sort of adopt you and take you out. So it's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, so, yeah, so that was in, um, and what 79. year was it? 79? Actually, no, uh, yeah, yeah, cause then I went to, uh, went from San Diego to Great Lakes, uh, Illinois, you know, okay. up by Chicago for my, um, A schooling and, uh, you know, it's, it's basic, you know, here, here's how you operate tools, which is kind of fun. Yeah. You know, I will never forget the name of the course tools and their uses. Literally, literally telling you how to use a screwdriver <laughs> and a hammer. Yeah. That was actually a Navy course. That's, that's wow. a bad thing. They yeah, were breaking actually, it down, huh? Oh yeah. This yeah. is a hammer. This is a screwdriver. Yeah. It's pretty funny. Uh, you're just looking going, people are failing this course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> and how long was that course? That, that was, well, I think it was like six weeks, all the different schools. I, and then, well, there was a couple of schools I had to go to. And some of them were self-paced yeah. in those days. So okay. I think I was there and I actually ended up while I was waiting for my nuclear power school to start, you, they, they class you up in those. Um, so they're only going to start at certain times, like twice oh, a year. Right. I don't know how often it was. So, you know, I finished my 
a schooling earlier. So I got picked up on what they, you know, they called it staff duty. Basically you're, you're helping do the grunt work and well, you know, the actual instructors, you know, take the time off, but it was right, a lot of yeah. fun. Hung out in Great Lakes for a while. And that's when I got introduced to things that, you know, I never thought were in the Navy. Um, you know, the yeah. young, young sailor things in those days. <laughs> you're like, Hold on. This isn't in the rules, is it? You're not supposed to be doing this. Um, but fortunately I, I kind of kept my nose, my nose clean and yeah. I went off to nuclear power school, which let me tell you, nuclear power schools is, uh, it was in Orlando, Florida at the time. Oh, okay. So here I'd gone from San Diego mm-hmm. to base Chicago. And then, you know, and basically in a space of almost a year, I went for those three spaces and I'm in Orlando, Florida. Those are um, big changes. Big changes yeah. for a, a, a little country boy who, you know, I, I mean, the small town I grew up in literally had two stoplights. There was two stoplights in that town. Yeah. So it, I'm a, I'm a small town kid. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, we, we, we had a high school that was a, a union high school, which basically we had like the entire county area mm-hmm. around us almost. So yeah. all these different schools came in and still you only had, I mean, my graduating class was like a hundred and, you know, 150 or something, you know, so oh, wow. it wasn't a big place. Uh, so I'm thrown into all this stuff and it's, it's exciting and new to me and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm having a good time. Uh, nuclear power school, I went out and, you know, which to me was a struggle. And the way nuclear power school run or did run, and I'm sure it's not much different now, it's extreme. It's, it's the Navy trying to throw a four year college education <laughs> of engineering and physics and, you know, advanced math yeah. into about a nine month or six and a half month period. Yeah. And, and it's, it's nonstop it for, for people who don't have that background, it's brutal. And I'm one of those. I'm, I'm like, I can learn hands on, but you know, I'm not a math whiz. So you would be in school from whatever it was, eight in the morning until four in the afternoon, but then they have study hours. Yeah. Well, study hours, I don't know if you've been through, they're either voluntary or mandatory. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So I've been on a couple of mandatory ones before, so I understand that. I really didn't ever get mandatory because I was at voluntary like 40, which is like 40 extra hours a week that you have to log in. So they really couldn't give me mandatory because I'm already kind of doing, I'm there, you know, and and ours, you can't take any of the material home to study. It all has to be done in the Mm -hmm. school building because it's all nuclear power. Yeah. So, yeah. So Orlando, the, the rare times I could actually get off, like maybe on a Sunday for a little while, mm-hmm. usually I'd get maybe Sunday morning until about four in the afternoon, then I'd be back and studying. So that was my time off for those oh, wow. six months. Was, was, so you, didn't get, a, you didn't get a lot of time in Orlando to go out and explore too much. No, and, uh, no, and what the part I did, I probably <clears throat> didn't do well, let's put it that way, the Saturday <laughs> nights. And, yeah. you know, I, I done some single sailor things. I ended up with a you know, few shots that I, you know, yeah, not proud of, but you know we had them because well, you know <laughs> this was those days. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what we've done, and and um, uh, it was all new to me. And I was a young, and I you know had a car, so it wasn't a good car, but it was a car. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, trust me, I I remember because I had a fan. This is a car from I'm on drove from Arizona. My air conditioner yeah. in this car was, doesn't work. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, don't don't use the fan because it's going to short the car. Out. Okay, fine, we're good with that. <laughs> Well, you're in Orlando and you're in areas you shouldn't be in at, you know, two in the morning mm-hmm. and um, you come out and it's a little bit foggy in there. So I got to run the fan. Yeah. Well, 
you know, so you do what you're going to do and you come back out to the car and it's dead. Oh, but you're in a part of town in Orlando that is not really very safe. So yeah. you have to call a tow truck. And this is my, I'm still a young kid. This tow truck driver shows up with a handgun on the dash of his truck. Oh, wow. Saying, you two don't look like you belong in this neighborhood. Because <laughs> I was a friend. I'm like, yeah, well, can, can you get me out of here? <laughs> yeah, I, I remember standing in the back of the class for a while after I got those shots after that night. And um, yeah. yeah, I'm not sitting down right now because my butt hurts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it was a good time. It was the kind of fun things we did in school. But we got through that. And um, I managed to graduate. We always used to call it, you know, just 2-8 and survive. If you could get a 2-8 out of 4-0, yeah. you could pass the class. Well, I think I ended up with, you know, a little higher than that. I think I ended up like a 3.0 grade point average, okay. which yeah. is not stellar. Um, but I got through because uh, and then they send you off. From nuclear power school, they send you to prototype training. So now you're going from the classroom to the actual reactor plant. Yeah. So, okay. And, um, at the time, the Navy had two or three locations. I got sent to Idaho Falls, Idaho. So I'm in the middle of the desert in Idaho. Okay. Um, so, you know, this is kind of kind of fun. I'm, I'm traveling the world as yeah. far as I know. This is the world. Um, a lot of new places. Had a lot of fun. I mean, again, you're working long hours, you're, but you're actually hands-on. And I've done much better when you put me hands-on. If I'm oh, in yeah. the plant, I can operate the plant. I'm a hands-on guy. Okay, I can I can do this. I can operate this this reactor and all the engineering places that you know the, the steam room and the engine that goes with that. Yeah. So, and, and basically, obviously, the nuclear power thing. All it really is is that's our source of power to drive our steam engines for our, you mm-hmm. know to turn the propeller on the boat. Right. You know, yeah, it, yeah. It really doesn't. You know, it's past whatever gives their power source. The rest of it is all basically the same. It's a steam yeah. plant. Okay. So. That's that, and but it's obviously you have to have the nuclear side because the, well, the Navy's very, very strict on our our nuclear power. We have never had a nuclear accident or incident in the Navy, and mm-hmm. and and we don't ever intend to because obviously, you know, public sentiment and things. People, it would, it would, it would. They, people would try to shut us down if that happened. You know, yeah, so we yeah, are yeah. Very, very strict, and you know, sometimes people don't understand and i'm sure i was right there with him when i was young don't understand why it is as strict as it is right and there's just no there's no room and I mean, you can you can screw up but your integrity of course is is there is no room for an integrity issue whatsoever yeah uh, that's okay. that's and, and i've carried that over into my life now and so i i still have you know issues sometimes and i'll tell somebody but one lie and you're done your integrity is <laughs> gone so right that's just what it is mm-hmm. you can tell me you messed up all day long and okay we get through that we can train that we can do what we need to do mm-hmm. but integrity i can't train so yeah. it so i went through nuclear power school and i went prototype school graduated thank god i'm through nuclear power school finally okay. so mind you, i went in March 6th of 1980 is actually when I enlisted okay. and went away and I went to my first boat, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii in December, I think it was. I mean, now I got my notes here. Um, I think it was December of 1981. I finally made it to my boat. Is that true? Nope. Jan- January of 1982, actually. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, so two full years basically yeah. I've been on a month and before I actually get to uh, my first submarine. Mm-hmm. And of course now I'm I'm in Hawaii. They said yeah, in Hawaii. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you, you literally travel in the world at this point. I, am, I mean and you know, they used to say that back in the day that was it, wasn't it? The Navy yeah. said join the Navy. Yeah. Um 
for adventure or whatever. Yeah. So See that's, and I did. We, I went to, uh, so let me see. Yeah, I ended up in Hawaii on the, um, what we call fast boats, the old, mm-hmm. old, uh, nuclear submarines there. Okay. The Aspro was the name of it, which is, everybody's going, what the heck is an Aspro? Yeah. Well, it's, a, it's a little silvery fish. I can tell you that it's a fish. Oh, okay. Um, it's not a very impressive little fish, but it's a fish. Um, <laughs> yeah. The 648. So nuclear fast boat, basically the fast boats that attack, you know, the submarines. Yeah. Um, out of Pearl Harbor. And that's, it was the, that class of ship. They were basically roughly 300 feet long, you know, so they're not very big. Well, mm-hmm. to me, it was kind of big. And those are the ones where, yeah, you know, yeah. Some of the movies. I don't know if you've seen any submarine movies. A lot of oh, them yeah. are totally bogus, of course. Um, mm-hmm. We laugh at them. Uh, but you know, when they start showing you, they got all this sleeping room. Well, I will tell you, on the 648 class submarines, their um, crew berthing for the junior sailors were some areas were stacked four high. Okay. And mind you, the average sailor, not, and again, you, you didn't really have a lot of, you know, fat guys running around or anything, but the yeah. average sailor, if you were in your bunk, well, I'm short, so that's helpful. I'm only, you know, five, seven, so it's helpful. Those, those the guys six foot and over, mm-hmm. you're not laying completely straight out in your bunk because it's not long enough usually. Oh, um, wow. you have enough room in your bunk, maybe to put a paperback book on your chest and try to read it. Oh, then there's a rack above you. So we call them coffins. They're called coffins. Yeah. Um, because you're, and you're stacked. If and parts of the boat, it's four high parts. It's only three high based on the curvature of the hull. Right. But, um, so yeah. And, and mind you, yeah. the hallway between the, the passageway between you and the other set of bunks on the other side was maybe two and a half feet at the most. Oh my God. So yeah, which, you know, and you, Picture that during, you know, a, you know, a general quarters drill or something where yeah. everybody's out of the rack at one time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're trying. It's, it's, a, it's crowded. It's a mess, but <clears throat> submarine world. And, and I don't know if you actually got to spend any time on, on a surface ship as, as a Marine, but. The, no, I never, I never to, did. Never would see. Well, totally different. Obviously, you know, if you're on a surface ship, you still have, well, you still have day and night. You, you have yeah. the sun. Mm-hmm. And, well, submarine, we don't have that, obviously. There are no windows. There are no screen doors. There's none of that. You know, we, we're in a big black tube under the water mm-hmm. with no sense of time of day whatsoever. Basically, we would tell you that you judged what time of day it was by what meal they were serving on the mess decks. That's how you knew. Oh, really? Because, wow. Yeah, they, whether they were serving. And they serve four meals a day mm-hmm. um, because in a submarine, we work or at least we did in those days. I don't know what they're really doing now. I think there's some changes, but we worked six hour shifts. You were in a right. three section rotation, six hour shifts. So basically you had 18 hour days, right? So you had, you, you have your on watch period where you're operating your equipment, you're standing your watch, whatever, whatever your job was for six hours. The next six hours is where you were, you know, that's in theory, your allocated time to do, you know, training uh because obviously there's always training there's always more qualifications to get yeah plus there's mandatory training you know for like your division and your department there's right, a lot yeah, of yeah. lot of training especially in the nuclear war side of it um and then maintenance of course because there's always a, a lot of maintenance to keep these things running so mm-hmm. you have your maintenance your training if you wanted to do any kind of exercise and workout which yeah we we, we have ways to do that in submarines um and in your leisure, do your laundry because there's nobody doing your laundry. So I mean, you do your own laundry. Okay. And 
all those kind of things. So you had six hours in theory, that was your time. And then in theory, six hours in the rack, and then you start your day again. Right. So now some of the junior sailors again would be what we'd call hot racking. And you may have heard the term. Uh-huh. There's not, there's not enough bunks on the submarine that everybody gets one assigned. You have more people than you do have bunks. Right. So some of the very juniors, the E, E2s, E1s, maybe, maybe some of the E3s would hot rack. So somebody that stands the same watch as them and does the same job as they do, mm-hmm. but is in a different section than them, right. would, they would share a rack, which so, you know, basically one person gets out of it and the next person's getting in it. <laughs> which yeah, which is where the hot rack comes from. It's already warm from somebody else in it. Yep. That's yeah. called hot racking. That's okay. right. So, yeah, that's fortunately for me, I never had to do that because once we get through all of our nuclear power school and all that, we, we usually come and plus as a nuke, you have to sign on for that longer period of time. So oh, rank yeah. comes a little bit faster for us. Okay. Um, so I never had to do that, but, um, but yeah, you had, you had those. That, that's how we worked. We worked 18 hour days. Now that's a theory. That's what mm-hmm. you tell people. 18 yeah. hour days. I got my six on six of whatever I want to do and need to do. And then six in the rack. Well, nobody tells you that when the engineering guys decide it's time to run, you know, a fire drill on the ship or <laughs> yeah. flooding drill or, you know, whatever other drill, those, those aren't, well, I, this is my sleep time. I don't respond. No, no. These are all hands evolutions. Mm-hmm. Every one of them. Yeah. There is no sleep. So you can go 48 hours with no sleep and you oh can, you, God. yeah, you, if you hit it in the wrong rotation or God forbid something really does go wrong, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're up. Everybody's up. Everybody responds. Wow. But that, yeah, trust me. The first time I went on a surface ship and I found that, you know, that, that they're running a fire drill and, and I'm going, well, what do we do? Oh no, we don't do anything when it's not us. <laughs> what, what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> on submarine, you, yeah, you literally do. When they talk about, you know, you rely on the guy next to you literally, you know, can control your life. But well, yeah. it's, it's true. I mean, because yeah, yeah. there's, you know, you, you think of a fire in, in an enclosed space oh, where yeah. there's no, no air. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's a bad thing. Um, or flooding, obviously. You know, there's everything. Uh-huh. Everybody has a job. You knew if you were on watch, this is what you did. If you were the offgoing section, you knew you're this hose team for the fire. You're this, you, you, you know exactly right. what your job is based on where you're at in the rotation. Mm-hmm. And we're all trained to that. So, and it's, it's a long process because it takes typically almost a year to actually earn your dolphins, earn your submarine qualification. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So it's because you have to go through every system on the ship, basically, and mm-hmm. you, some of them you have to know any damage control you have to know completely you have to know all of it wow. you know where, where every you know battle lantern on the ship is that you have to know where all the you have to know everything because if the lights go out it's dark yeah. it's really dark yeah. um and so and then of course the other systems in the ship you know like for me do i have i don't have to know sonar systems or something enough to operate them but i have to know them yeah, I have to know weapon systems, but I don't operate them. Mm-hmm. Just like, well, and just like the forward guys that we always call them forward and aft. You always said the forward and aft guys, the aft where the engineering, because that's mm-hmm. where the, anything where the nuclear reactor's at and beyond is engineering. Okay. Um, everything up forward. So it was always, it's a game. It's just like brothers and sisters, you know? Yeah. yeah. They can fight and argue. Well, we have, you know, we have, we have our little sisters up front, as we like to call them, the, the corners. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then the engineering guys in the back. Yeah. Um, 
but that's, you know, it was all a good, good, good battle, but it's, um, you had to know all the systems. So earning dolphins, when somebody says they have their dolphins, which is their submarine uh, warfare insignia. Yeah. Um, it's a big deal. deal. Yeah, it is a big deal because it's, mm-hmm. it's a very long qualification process. You have to go right. through every system on the boat, all the checkouts. You have to actually do certain evolutions and then you go through uh, a couple of boards, interview boards, and you're getting tested on and quizzed on all this stuff. There's yeah. people asking you hard questions and, and they're not easy. They, they, because they know that you could be the guy that, you know, it makes or breaks the day. So yeah. they don't just sign these off, go, oh, you're a nice guy, I'll sign you off. And no, because you could be the one that actually saves my life tomorrow. Uh-huh. So it's, um, it's fun. And fortunately, and I would say all the time I was on board, um, there was never, oh, we had a few, but we didn't, I never really, I don't think felt too many times that I was in major danger. There were a few times. Yeah. But, you know, we had a few incidents happen. You know, I've had flooding and, but, m- it's amazing how fast people react and just do it. And you don't even have, you don't have time to be afraid. You don't, you, you yeah. just, you just do your job and okay, it's taken care of, you know, wow. something fails and, and you realize why we train the way we train. Mm-hmm. Just because, so it becomes second nature. And then, yeah, you just yeah. do it. And you always, like we say, we always train the way it's going to be. You, mm-hmm. This is just what you do. So yeah, my first boat I spent, um, God, where was that there? I got there in January of, 82 and I left there in January 85. So that's three years. And okay. Those three years we had some good time. I got to do my first West pack, okay. um, which is when you're out of Hawaii, you're going over to the Western Pacific. So mm-hmm. going to Japan, Korea, Hong Kong, uh, we got to Australia. Uh, God, there's a few other ports. So yeah, that's you're traveling. I mean, you're, you're all these different countries and just mm-hmm. having, and seeing things and trying to experience the culture a little bit. Um, yeah. So you've got, you got port calls and all those. Uh, oh areas. yeah. Yeah. We got a lot of port calls. Um, okay. Back in those days we pulled in and, and you know, uh, Australia was interesting because they all went on strike at the pier because they didn't want a nuclear submarine coming in. So oh, really <laughs> it was, yeah, but oh yeah, we, we still had good time. We, you know, we got a couple of tours, you know, it, it took us out on a tour bus to see some of the countryside and oh, we were on, cool. You know, we weren't in like Sydney or you know Perth or something. No, we were in, and this is you know again early '80s. So we're in Darwin, which is in Northeast Territories. There right, was literally yeah. nothing in Darwin except a casino, a few residents, and the Aborigines, which were the you know the the natives. Yeah. Um, and they would take us on this bus through some of these areas, and literally the, the, they're throwing rocks at our bus. Um, oh. Oh yeah, it was kind of fun, but we it, you know but you got to eat. Um, Water buffalo, kangaroo. Oh, very it, cool. Oh yeah, yeah. And some people are like, I'm not eating that. Me, I'm that guy. You're like, I'll try that. Yeah, you may have some of that. So we had, you know, I I loved it. We got to see countries and go places. But yeah, you know, I I won't forget. I was probably, you know, I'd only been in. Obviously, I was still in Hawaii at the time, so I'd gone. In those days, when I got to go and leave, I would go back to Arizona. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. what I knew. I'd go back to the family. I was still a single sailor and. I'd go back and so it'd been out a few years and I go back and go to the, all the old friends I went to high school with and we, you know, we grew up in the desert. So yeah. we would go out to have these, you know, ah, everybody goes out to the party and has a desert party. That's what yeah. we do. Uh, when we were younger, it was maybe some illegal drinking, but in this age, no, we're old enough now. It's, yeah. you know, mind you, when I went in, it was only 19 in Arizona drinks. So we're good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you get out and, and we're out there, we got the bonfire going and people are sitting around and, 
these are all the people I went to high school with, and they're all mm-hmm. talking about this great, and I'll never forget this. They're all about this great party at the lake. Now, mind you, this is Arizona, so to get to a lake, they had to drive. Yeah. Um, there's not a lot of lakes. But they had this great party at the lake and the, all the things they had doing, and that, they were, it was just sounded like they had a blast. Yeah. And so I'm listening to this conversation go on for like a half an hour, 45 minutes, and I'm finally like, so, you know, this was like, like just a couple weeks ago or something. Oh, no, 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 no. We've done this. This was like, what, six, seven, eight months ago? And I'm like, what? <laughs> and I'm going, what? Okay. But then they went on and said, well, what have you been to? What have you been up to? And I'm like, and that's when I started telling them, well, you know, I just came back from you know, Australia and Hong Kong and Korea mm-hmm. and Japan. And I'm telling them all these stories, all these different countries. And they're just looking at me. And that's, I think that's when I realized that that I would, I would never go back there mm-hmm. because I realized that I, I had changed me, you know, yeah. I'd seen the world, I'd done things and there was jealousy on my side that I didn't have all those old friends still, but I could see it in a lot of their eyes that I'm seeing the world that they're not getting a chance to see. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, I, I would, and I never have forgotten that night. I'm going, well, that's when I realized that, yeah, there's something to this. I like this. Okay. So, but I went, uh, I was getting ready to transfer out of there. So I got orders to, um, from Hawaii to a new construction submarine in Groton, Connecticut. Okay. Um, so I was going to one of the big boats, one of the ballistic missile submarines. So I'm yeah. going from a you know, 300 foot long submarine to about a 600 foot long submarine. Oh, wow. Um, oh yeah. Those, the Trident submarines are huge. They're big. Um, I did not realize they were that big. They, uh, yeah, they're about 600 feet long, about 42 feet across. They're, wow. yeah. There's four decks in the middle of that thing. There's literally four levels. No so, kidding. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> yeah. And it's a whole new world. But of course, we were building it. So new construction, you're, you know, mm-hmm. you're not going to see, you're building the thing. Now I did, you know, go through the building and, and we managed to commission it. And, and I did go in the first two patrols with it, but, uh, okay. And then I transferred, but that was fine. We were in, you know, so basically we, you know, me and a couple other guys got a, a, a house that we rented down in, in the Stonington borough down up in Connecticut. So we're up there with the rich folk, the lobster guys and all that nice. stuff. So it was yeah. a good time. Oh, I, yeah, it was great times. We loved it. I mean, fortunately we had the world's best landlord and he was one of the largest lobster families in the area. So our parties always had fresh lobster. Very nice. <laughs> so yeah. Here we are as young, young sailors with, hi, you want a party? Oh yeah. Yeah. We'd tell him we're having a party and we'd get buckets of fresh lobster delivered. Wow. So we loved living up there. Had a good time. And then, of course, the, when the boat got commissioned on what had to be the absolute coldest day ever in Groton, Connecticut. Um, <laughs> well, to be fitting, the boat's name was Alaska. So I guess it, you know, it was eh, the USS well, you, Alaska. Yeah, it well, works. It was fitting. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it was, it worked. So, oh but God. we, uh, and it, it got stationed in Bremerton, Washington. So when I say I, I just, they kept moving me. I, I literally, like I say, I went from San Diego to Chicago to, Orlando to Utah or Idaho and yeah. Hawaii. And now I'm over in Connecticut and now I'm back to Washington state. Wow. I mean, it was, there's a lot of travel in there. So we spent the two patrols on that and a, and a, a ballistic missile submarine. The patrols are basically U2 crews on one of those. The, the missile subs are, are, are two crew submarine. You have the gold crew and the blue crew. Okay. Um, full crews, complete commands, you know, if everything from the commanding officer on down, it is completely different. Um, so one of them will have it for three months and then they come back in and they turn it over to the other crew. There's a big turnover process, you know, a lot of paperwork and all that stuff. 
and then the other crew takes charge of the boat. Uh, um, I see. And then you do your little refits. Now, usually on refit periods where they're doing, you know, maintenance works, both crews work together for a while, but that's those three months in are where you get your different trainings and that's when you're allowed to take leaves and things because right. the missile submarines and missions are totally different. Mm-hmm. You know, fast boats, we got a lot of ports. We pulled into places. Um, but on a ballistic missile submarine, your job is, your job is what's keeping the world what it is today, really. Yeah. You know, we have all these assets and we have our carriers and they're great and they're huge. Mm-hmm. But frankly, everybody can see a carrier and know where they're at. They got satellites and know exactly where that carrier's at. Very true. We call them, we call them targets. They got a lot of manpower and they got a lot of firepower, but they're targets because yeah. you can see them. The missile submarine, the ballistic missile submarines are, are trident subs are literally what, in my opinion, is keeping our world safe because the enemy know how powerful they are, but they don't know where they are. Uh-huh. And that's the key. They don't know where they are. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and they're on patrol somewhere and they have, there's enough firepower on one trident submarine that was used in the entire second world war. So, and that's on one submarine. So they're, they're powerful boats and that's, that's, they are called, they are a deterrent force. Yeah. We always say if they ever fire one of the missiles at all, now they can, they have other weapons, of course, you know, they have, they have tomahawks and things like that. There's other weapons, but if they ever actually fire a missile, you know, Uh a trident missile, then basically we failed. Obviously, yeah. somewhere yeah. up there, all the politicians have failed. If uh-huh. That missile goes off because that's, you know, it's nuclear or right, yeah. possibly nuclear. They're nuclear boats. I can say that. Now, people always ask, you know, you get, but well, how many weapons do you carry? Well, again, I was engineering. However, obviously we're trained. Yeah. You can <laughs> easily see if you see one on the surface, you can see there are 24 missile tubes. That's you can yeah. see the boat on the surface. You can count the top. You can see there's 24 missile tubes. Now, how many missiles are on board one at any one time? Can't tell you that. Yeah. I didn't even know. I could go to sea and I couldn't always tell you. Do they have ballast in that tube or is there a missile in that tube? Right. And if there's yeah, a yeah. missile in there, how many warheads are on it? Because each yeah. missile is capable of carrying you know, multiple warheads. I don't yeah. know. I had I did not have the need to know. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah. So and there were only a few on board that did know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the ones that needed to know weaponeers and those kind of things. But right, so yeah. in that that's that missile boats are that world's a whole lot different. Mm-hmm. You would say you're at sea, you're just you're just poking holes in the ocean, as we call it. And and you're out there doing your job and making sure that the world doesn't know where you are, but they know you're there somewhere. And, and that's, that's you said those are three month. Uh, yeah, so you're t- out to sea for three months. Um, your, your deployments are typically less than that because you do a maintenance period and things, Okay. but the, basically in theory, it's a three month. So it, it, it varies a little bit based on the maintenance schedules, um, mm-hmm. and how much time they have to do what they have to do. But it's, it's usually about a three month patrol. Um, or it was in the day things change a lot. Um, yeah, yeah. And but, now, um, and you're, you're talking under the water. Once under you get underway, water. you're underwater the whole time. Pretty, pretty much. I mean, okay. those can occasionally do a few things, but not much because first of all, there's not, they're, they're huge and we're not going to pull, you know, a Trident submarine in, into foreign yeah. ports really. I mean, yeah, yeah. just the, it's just the security issue of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our own ports here where there's only two ports in the States that actually have Trident submarines and, you know, oh, wow. I'm, li- I'm living in one of them here. I mean, yeah. down here in, in South Kings Bay, Georgia, and then the other is Bremerton, Washington. And that's mm-hmm. that's not a secret. That's, that's where our Trident submarine bases are. Yeah. Now, obviously, we have 
a, what we call a forward deploy maintenance facility that they can go to that's over in Guam or something. But, um, yeah, those are really the only places they're moored and, and, and things. So they have specific, very unique, you know, facilities for those. And that's, yeah. that's where we pull them in. And even here, you know, we've got entire marine detachments here that that's what their job is, is the mm-hmm. security of that boat coming and going into yeah. the port yeah, because yeah. a submarine on the surface, you know, coming into a harbor is, you know, not a whole lot of you don't have a whole lot of defense awesome. <laughs> yeah you know, yeah this isn't the old boats with those guns on top side you know we don't mm-hmm. have those <laughs> so yeah the marines that's what they do we have a marine detachment that's their their job is to secure it and i'm telling you what all the boaters in this area because you know we live on the coast with this big fishing area oh yeah and they will they all know very well when that submarine's <laughs> on the surface because everybody wants to see it of course yeah you get somebody new they're oh there's a submarine and they'll make the mistake of trying to get close. Yeah, yeah. They don't yeah. get very close. They don't get very close. Now yeah. the, they they will find that the, those Marines and those patrol boats are pretty um <laughs> Yeah, the Marines and the Coast Guard, of course we have Coast Guard units too, but uh yeah. the Coasties have their units and they don't they don't get close. They yeah. so that's pretty cool though. But they they get the new guys on that, oh we've seen a submarine and but yeah, but then the Coast Guard told us to go away. <laughs> yeah, but they did. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't yeah. ask either. Uh, <laughs> so that's but that was uh oh, did I lose you? Uh, okay. Um, yeah. Where was I at here? So, yeah, I went from that was the Alaska. So mm-hmm. I'd done my time on Alaska, and then, ah, oh, you know, I'd been in nuclear power. Nuclear power is kind of stressful; it does its thing. So I decided I wanted to try something different. Mm-hmm. Um, I started searching around through what was possible and what was available, and you know, in any billeting area, and so I made some phone calls, and I ended up getting orders to. Um, Southern European NATO headquarters. Oh, okay. Which, as a submariner and as a nuke, nobody can yet figure out how I'd done that because I was definitely a unicorn. <laughs> there was, yeah, submariners are not at the NATO headquarters in yeah. Southern Italy. And a nuclear power guy was like, what, what, what do you mean? <laughs> what are you doing here? <laughs> so, yeah, and my command master chief over there, she was she was one of the first female command master chiefs in the navy, and she was absolutely fantastic. Huh. Um, oh yeah, she was great, but she always told me I was I was an East Ex, and she's mm-hmm. like, you're you're not going to make chief, which you know, making chief E seven in the navy is a big deal. Yeah, she says, you're not going to make chief until you get back to your boat. You got to get because this you're having a great time and you love this, but you're being evaluated and ranked and you know the selection board is looking at your job and they're all going what's he doing what no yeah <laughs> so, so of course you know it was a two-year billet and yeah i was loving life and soon as so as soon as she went on leave that the master chief went on leave i i put in my request to you know extend my tour overseas by a year so i snuck that through while she was gone oh, okay oh yeah 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 she came back and after a while she's like well you should be transferring soon shouldn't you i'm like no no master chief i got another year She's like, what? Well, yeah, yeah, I got, I, I over, I extended. Oh yeah. <laughs> Very yeah. nice. Yeah, I snuck that in there, but you know, she knew why. Uh, and she, yeah, I, we're still friends today. I, we still do Christmas cards. She doesn't live nice. but about three hours from here, so yeah, it's it's good. But um, no, what had happened there was, well, that's where I meant this lovely young royal navy uh, okay sailor okay 
So, uh, yeah, I met my wife. She obviously worked at a NATO base. So I have, we have Americans, we have Italians Mm -hmm. because it's in Italy. We have, uh, English Navy. We have Mm -hmm. Greeks. We have Turks and French. Okay. I think that's all that was working. So you, a large, uh, you know, international pool there. So I met my wife through, um, a friend. I worked with Air Force guy. I would basically, my immediate boss was Air Force too. And, uh, yeah. Air Force sergeant I worked with, um, good friends with him. And so I, that's how I met my wife through him. And she worked at the, obviously the Brit, um, facility there. Uh-huh. She sort of, I always tell her she crashed a dinner party I was having. I was invited other people and, uh, yeah. And then she came with a friend and, and she crashed my party and then basically didn't move out. So, but that we had a good okay. time. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was, um, about 34, 35 years ago. So, uh, yeah, and we've say, been married. Did you say 45 years ago? Oh, 35. Oh, yeah. I was like, holy 35. cow, 35 nope. years ago. Yeah, so we, we will actually celebrate our anniversary this month. It'll be 33 years this month. So. Wow, that's yeah. awesome. Congratulations yeah. early on that one. Yeah, we we got together, and of course, you know, we had a good, We, I mean, living in Italy is, first of all, Naples, Italy, back in the day, is a very crowded most people would come through and they're going to say it's very crowded, very dirty, uh-huh. you know, a lot of crime, but that's just people who are just looking at the surface. Yeah. If you look past the surface of Naples, Italy, uh, you won't find a more genuine person in the world. The Neapolitans, uh-huh. once you make friends with them, they are your friend. Yeah. They will do anything for you. They, is there crime where well, there was crime, but the crime wasn't against it wasn't violent crime against us. Yeah. Crime was basically to feed your families. You know, it was one of those that the unemployment rate was, you know, phenomenal over there. So mm-hmm. yeah, if you had a car stereo and you didn't lock your car, eh, guess what? Your car stereo is getting stolen. Yeah. Because they can sell it and make money. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's the kind of crime there was. There was no, at least not against us. We didn't have the kind of money or, or thing they needed. There was no violent crime against Americans there. Yeah. Um, but was it crowded and dirty? Well, yeah. I mean, it was very, Naples is a very crowded town. You know, the, the houses are built up to the sidewalk and the sidewalk is to the street. So you literally got front doors that are, you know, three feet from the street, oh, um, wow. the big apartment buildings and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. That's, that's the downtown area. I, I, you know, I've never lived, you know, in a major city in America, a big downtown, but it, it's a big downtown and it's extremely crowded. Yeah. You know, cars, unlike Americans, you know, we sit out, we wash and wax our car, don't touch our car, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, to them, a car is a, is a transportation. That's what it is. Yeah. So your car is parked on the street and, you know, the kids, and I say kids, you know, you teenagers or whatever, are in the street mm-hmm. talking and having a good time with their friends. Uh, will they be leaning on your car or sitting on your car? Probably because it's just a car. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Yeah. And and they don't they couldn't understand why the Americans get so upset about your you're on my car like yeah okay big deal it's a car <laughs> yeah. so, but but the I mean I you know, I could have lived in the barracks there I was a single sailor when I got there I could have lived in the barracks but I also had the option to not live in the barracks right so the army uh, the Air Force sergeant I worked with um, he's one of those guys that you know talks to everybody and knows everybody and uh-huh. and, and well he. He was married, and he, to, matter of fact, he was married to a, a Navy sailor also. But um, huh. he told me he he knows a guy. He'll get me. He'll find me an apartment. 
because I was going through the Navy system and the apartments they were showing me were like in those big buildings. And that's not what I'm oh, looking yeah. for. I wanted just to be in a building. I want to go, I want to be somewhere. I told them, I'll put me somewhere where there's older teenagers. You know, I want to see the 17, 18, 19 year olds because I want to learn the language. I want to yeah. get in the culture. So he found me a great place. I had an apartment and it was like the little parko, you know, the electric gates around and everything. There's four apartments in the building, mm-hmm. um, four good size apartments. Yeah. Basically the landlord and his wife and, and son and daughter and the big one downstairs, the yeah. one above him was his oldest son and his wife who, who had been recently married. So they're upstairs. The other two apartments were for his other two children when they got married. So oh, that's what wow. it was. It's a family parko. Yeah. Well, there's a doctor that lives downstairs because the other, you know, the son's not, or the daughter's not married yet. So that's going to be hers. And the apartment they had just finished rehabbing and making it absolutely gorgeous was going to be the other son's. Well, mind you, I had, I had granite and marble floors. Uh huh. The whole floors in the house were all granite and marble, not like tiles. They were slabs of granite and marble with heating coils run through them. I had granite countertop. Oh, my house was gorgeous. It was like, how'd you get this? I had balconies and people like, uh, because my landlord was fantastic. He couldn't speak a word of English when I moved in and I didn't know any Italian. (laughs) We would literally communicate by drawing pictures. Um, I love it. But they were fabulous people. And, um, so I, you know, obviously I started learning Italian and hanging out with the local teenagers and yeah. all those. And, and because, well, again, I had a car. Um, it was kind of fun. So I lived there for a while, you know, a few months and I was going and trying to take college courses at night and things. So I'd come home late at night and there's a little restaurant kind of back around the corner behind my, behind my house. I could see it from behind my house because I was up higher. Uh-huh. I'd go around there at night about, you know, eight or nine o'clock at night. I'm going to get me a, a pizza and, you know, Basically, and now mind you, getting into pizza in those days cost me about two thousand lira, which was about a dollar twenty, and you oh, get wow. a pizza. It's like a Neapolitan pizza. It's not American style pizza. It's a plate sized pizza, but it's it's there's plenty of food and they're delicious. They make it right yeah. there for you. Wow. So I'd go in and they were nice to me and all. You know, they were Italians and I didn't know much. And the people weren't rude or anything. They were nice. Yeah. But you know, they would. I would just order my pizza and they didn't talk to you. They just give you pizza and you move on. Yeah. Well. That went on for, you know, a while. And then one night I went over to get my pizza and a lot of these neighborhood kids that I hung out with during the days sometimes were in there mm-hmm. and they all started talking to me and laughing and talk and just we're having a good time. And yeah. then I went back to the table and I'm watching the waiter go over to him. And, and obviously I could, it was very clear they were talking about me. Uh-huh. So he was asking like, you know, who is this guy basically? How do you know him type thing? Mm-hmm. And then I heard my landlord's name get mentioned. So like, hmm, that was interesting. <laughs> I didn't huh. go there and get ignored ever again. Oh, really? I went there for a pizza. Oh, no. No, I would go in for, you know, I order, I'd go back and order my pizza. And it's like, and they're bringing you out a coffee and they're bringing you out this glass of wine. And they're bringing, like, I didn't, and they're not charging you for any of this. So you're not, oh, no, wow. You're not paying. And it was, it took me quite some time to figure out it's because of who my landlord is. Yeah. He literally, he was the guy literally straight out of the movie where you see the little guy in his little cardigan sweater with his little walking stick right. walking around through his grape vines and his tomato plants sitting on his bench. Yeah. That was my landlord. Wow. That literally was him. And, he, and well, we, at the time, of course, I moved in. I didn't know all these details, but I learned them later because you see all the holidays. And yeah, we lived on a dead end street. So. You had to go up the street, turn around, and, and I pulled back to park in front of the house because I rarely put my car inside the gates. So I just yeah. didn't want to deal with it. I'd park on the street. Well, 
any any holiday, you'd see cars almost all day long going up, coming back, and they'd park in front of the house. They'd come in bearing gifts, and I'm like, man, he's got a lot of friends. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> well, no, it was later you're finding out. No, no, it it's where you're at, and how high ranking you are is people visit you on the holidays and bring you gifts. Yeah, we're uh, we're pretty much we we had jokes after that. Our landlord was pretty much the godfather. It was yeah. great. <laughs> it was great. I mean, they were just such good people, but it was, so again, I'm there of two years and, you know, and when Joy, my wife, Joy, her name is Joy, when, mm-hmm. when she decided she was going to move in with me. Um, so basically the, the, the female Brit sailors, uh, British sailors were not allowed to live off base for security reasons. They had to live okay. on base in, in housing, <clears throat> but they were allowed to house the set. So if they had some of the senior officers that are British that were going back to England for, you know, two weeks or something, they yeah. could go and, and take care of their houses. So right. uh, Joy was basically had me listed permanently as kind of like permanently house sitting at my house. Okay. So yeah, that was kind of it. So she sort of moved in and mind you, this is the early eighties again. Uh-huh. And this is a country that's very chauvinistic. And <sighs> so there was a little, the landlords were not, rude about it but you could tell they were questioning why is this single woman you know her virtues why is she why is she staying in this house with you yeah this you know, it's kind of one of those this isn't right thing mm-hmm. but then we we went and joy and i went on vacation went back to england mm-hmm. so i could meet her parents and and just we i hadn't been to england so we drove her car and we went to england and, mm-hmm. and i came back and i'm trying to tell my landlord we were at her parents house and we stayed with her parents and okay so things are a little better because obviously her parents know yeah, yeah. yeah. And, then things and then I, a few weeks later, I said, hey, you know, I told him her parents are going to come at Easter and visit. And I told them they'd stay at our house instead of getting a, at my house instead of getting a hotel. Well, now okay. it's great because her parents, he gets to meet the parents. The parents are going to be here. Yeah. So I'm telling you what, they have to come for Easter dinner. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm warning my soon to be or future mother-in-law. We were not engaged at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, she wants, you know, whatever big breakfast. And I'm like, you don't, you don't want a big breakfast. You're going to be eating lunch down there at about one. You, d- you don't need a big breakfast. Yeah. Oh, no, we can. She's thinking English lunch. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> lunch started at one. We were still eating at about eight o'clock at night. Oh, my gosh. Oh, God. The courses and the courses, uh, you know, and it's real Italian meal. You're going to get it one course at a time, yeah. but it's not like, take a plate away and put a plate in front of you. It's take a plate away and then you get wine and you drink and you talk and you do this. And then eventually another plate comes out. So it's, yeah, it is like my landlord's house didn't have like a living room. Mm-hmm. They had a big kitchen and a huge dining room. Yeah. And, and they, 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 they sat around the table and that's how they visited. Yeah. 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 Life, life, social life is around the table. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, so in oh yeah eight hours but fortunately my 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 father-in-law now um he was obviously he's english and obviously he went through the war and everything but um and so both of them my landlord and my father-in-law have been in world war ii so they and my father-in-law could speak some italian so uh-huh. they just spent the whole night i mean it was like they were the best buds by the night you know we we're break, oh, nice. breaking out bottles of wine, homemade wine of course because yeah we couldn't we couldn't have store-bought wine in there because it would be very offensive to him we right. had to drink his wine all the time but when he starts going down and bringing out the bottle you know that has like a quarter inch dust on it because it's that old yeah um, because this is a you know he has to show the respect of this man in his house uh-huh. so oh dear lord but you know the italians have a sneaky way though i'm trying to tell you every glass of wine he poured for us he was 
pouring half a glass for him and filling his with the rest of it with water. Oh, really? So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. So it, it became good then because we, you know, we now then you know, when we ended up, you know, obviously the landlord knows that, you know, the parents are good. We're all good. They understand that we're living together. Right. So this is not just a, a little, you know, fling thing. But of course, literally, and, and I, and it, we joke about this today when, in my, with my wife, let's say we tell people that when, when she moved in, it was one of those, okay, we're here on orders, you know, two mm-hmm. years from now, you're going back to England. I'm going back to the States. We'll remain friends, but that's it. This is just a two, two year, whatever. We're having a good yeah. time. That was our arrangement. Okay. And she will tell everybody to this day, I'm the one who broke that arrangement. So, <laughs> so we, we had, we like to travel. So we hadn't been somewhere and I'm looking, we were in one of the travel office buildings. There's one on the base there and I'm looking yeah. going, Hey, what's that poster? It's Tunisia. That's North Africa. I've never been over there. So we decided, okay, let's go. So we took off for a week and went to Tunisia. Very cool. Um, and that's where we got engaged. So, oh, okay. Um, yeah, there's a good story with that. You know, I got engaged one day and I did, you know, did the phone calls to her father and all that. So I planned it. But, yeah. um, so we're in Tunisia. We get engaged one day and the next day we're going to go and this is the early days of parasailing. Okay. You no, know, yeah. the boat. So there's these little Tunisian guys. They're going to take us and hey, we'll take you to do this. Yeah. Parasailing. There's two of them. Well, they are in one boat. Well, but the boat's small, so we can't take everybody on the boat. So my wife has, well, she's not my wife at the time, but my now fiance is sitting on the beach on this big river with one of the guys and the other guy has the boat and me and I'm going to do this first. Yeah. So I'm floating around behind this big, whatever, parachute behind a boat while the boat dies. Oh no. (laughs) So I'm thinking I'm coming down. Yeah. So I'm trying to unstrap from this, this stupid parachute before it, you know, kills me. Yeah. Um, so I get in the water and swim to the boat. We pull the parachute in. And then the funny part is, is I'm not the world's strongest swimmer, uh-huh. but so there's my fiance sitting on the beach laughing. I can see her. <laughs> she's way over there. I know she's laughing. And the guy's handing me the bow line for this boat. And whatever little bit of English she sees, I'm pretty clearly getting the message that he needs me to take this bow line and swim and tow the boat into the pier, into the beach. Very oh. nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sitting there and I get to the beer. She's busted up laughing. I'm going, so we get engaged one day and I almost die the next day. And you're okay with this? <laughs> so, yeah. You know, they did offer instead of giving me my money back, they did want to um, give me a camel ride instead. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, that's a no. That's a big no for me. Oh, that's oh a, okay. Yeah, that's a cool big old no for me. I'm the smelly, spitty, nasty animals. But, uh, so oh, that's funny. what I call them. My wife says they are not. She had a pet camel when she was very young and, and her father was ministry of defense and she lived in Libya and she had a pet baby camel and she thought they were cute. Oh, wow. Like, you, you ride the dang camel. I am not riding a camel. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah so that's how we, uh, that's how I broke the pact. And, and then that's, that was a long time ago. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah so, this, I mean, you know, submarine wise, we, you know, you know, obviously didn't do a, whole lot there because obviously i was working at nato headquarters and Uh um doing fun things and i can tell you that still the highest medal that i own that i that i earned my entire 26 years yeah i got as a an e6 on that base really oh yeah yeah i i have a defense meritorious service medal 
Oh, very cool. Okay. Yeah, which is which is kind of high. That was yeah. my that was my literature award for that. But um, yeah. So, but I worked first. You know, we we ran. I worked at the motor pool. Mm-hmm. So we had. I would be have 23, 24, one and two star, you know, admirals and generals oh, that wow. we took care of every day. Yeah. And we get four, three stars and three, four stars that we took care of every day. Mm-hmm. Well, there was the, there was a time we had the NATO ambassadors were having a conference over there. Yeah. So it's on us to supply all the transportation. Right. Well, I don't, I don't have that many cars of that class. Mm-hmm. So I'm out renting cars and mind you every major rental car rental agency in that area had a full copy of my driver's license my military id and all my passport information on file so all i had to do is call them and say i need you know x number of class a cars which Mm -hmm. would bmw's mercedes and this type of car so uh so i had literally 35 cars rented in my name for that oh my gosh Uh, oh yeah yeah nato's paying the bill but they're all in my name yeah so but we have 15 ambassadors that were running around for this six day event. Uh-huh. Um, and in Naples traffic is, is bad. Naples uh-huh. traffic is bad, but the deal is, and you got a, a carabinieri, which is the top, you know, Italian, um, basically it's a military, but it's a police force. Okay. Um, the carabinieri, nobody messes with the carabinieri. Um, a regular police, maybe, but not the carabinieri. So they, we have their escorts and, you know, we're going through all this. So every one of these 15 ambassadors has a, a, one of their basically home country, home speaking, uh, an officer that's going to be with them to act as a translator and to help to keep the schedule going. And then I have to put a driver in every one of these cars. Right. So I have to use my best drivers and, and believe it or not, you actually have to train people how to drive an automatic transmission. Oh yeah. 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 Because. This was Italy in the early days, and the young car, they, they were all manual transmissions. They didn't have automatics. Yeah. Most of these kids had never driven an automatic in their life. Mm-hmm. And you have to figure out that, no, please don't hit the brake with your left foot because you're <laughs> going to put the automatic through this windshield. So, yeah. So we have 15 of them at the train how to drive these cars. And it was interesting because there's a rank status with those guys. I'm sure you've experienced a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah, you don't. When you're in a line of 15 cars, number three better not pass number two. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we literally have numbers in front of the, in these windows. You stay yeah. in this order, but it's Naples traffic. If you give them a, a gap, somebody's going to drive in between you. Yeah. So yeah. They were, basically they couldn't get no more than five feet between the cars anywhere they were going. Oh my God. Oh, the, oh yeah. It was exciting. So we have a carabinieri in front with his light and we have. 15 of these cars. And then there's me in a 16th car behind them. Everywhere they went, I went yeah. because if a car broke down, got an accident, got a flat tire. Yeah. The job was you take this car and I take that car and you keep going. Cause you can't leave security wise. You can't leave them on the side of the street. Yeah. So the whole process, you know, and we're involved in all the protocol officers and all that. And mind just, I'm still just an E6 and, but I'm doing this all in civilian clothes. Cause this is all mm-hmm. civilian clothes thing. So I'm wearing these nice Italian linen suits and I'm having nice. a good time. And so the last day, everything went perfect for the four, full four days. And we uh-huh. did not have a flaw, at least on our end. I don't know what they were doing. Um, not a flaw. The last day we're taking them back to the airport. They all had flown in on the Italian ambassador's plane. They were all flying out on the American ambassador's plane. Okay. It's now pouring rain. Uh-huh. 
early evening. It's dark, so we're pulling up to the airport. And of course, the cars go straight onto the tarmac, pull up to the plane, in line, getting out and unloading and getting into the plane. Well, car number five happens to be the American ambassador. Uh-huh. And he's in a Mercedes. Um, pulls up and the entire electrical system of the car fails. Oh, um, no. Which was okay, except that the trunk wouldn't open. And his briefcase <laughs> is in the trunk. Oh, man. So I'm pulled to the side, of course, because I don't need to be in that line going out there. I'm pulled to the side and they're trying to figure out. I can see this commotion instantly. So I'm going out there. What's up? I can't get the trunk open. Yeah. The ambassador's very clearly going, this plane doesn't leave without that briefcase. <laughs> you know, because whatever's in this, I'm like, well, crap. We can't get it open. The keys won't open. It's just failed. It won't open. And it's just a Mercedes. So I'm like, well, okay, fine. We'll rip the back seats out and we'll go into the trunk that way. <laughs> no, we won't. Nope. Nope, it's a metal plate back there. You can't get behind the back seats. Oh, no. And mind you, it's pouring rain. So I'm in the suit. I'm soaked. And there's all these protocol officers. The the four-star admiral's wife is over there standing under an umbrella with the protocol officer. And all these people are around. Everybody else is on the plane now. The ambassador's got umbrellas over him. They're all watching. I need this. I need this. And we have a short window. This this plane's got to leave soon. So I'm like... Yelling at these guys on the flight deck over there, where these people were, I need a crowbar. I'm like, what? I'm, I'm going in this trunk. We're going in, this, we're getting this trunk open. They had no idea who I am, even. I mean, I'm just yeah. Italian soldiers that were the drivers knew who I was, but yeah. nobody else did. And I'm talking to them in Italian and don't know what I'm doing. So we're getting the crowbar and we're trying to get in. It's not working. And I seen a forklift over on the side. And I told the guy, you can, one of these guys on the terminal there said, so you can drive that forklift. And he's like, yeah. Give me that forklift. He's, what are you doing? We're going through the trunk. We're getting this trunk open. And he's like, you are not. I said, yeah, him. Get it. And so he was getting over, but he was about a few, he was, yeah, you know, it was a few yards from us when we managed to get the trunk open with the crowbar. Oh, and we wow. trucked it. It was horrible. Uh, we got his, yeah, and they left. We pushed the cart away and they left. They were, they were gone. They didn't care. Yeah. So go inside. And then here I got the protocols and walking up to me going, and I, mind you, somewhere in there I had managed to like, cut my hand or arm or something so yeah. it's raining it's wet it's bloody yeah, because it's it just is water uh-huh. it wasn't bad it just looked bad yeah yeah so i'm getting this protocol coming over but um who are you I'm like, oh <laughs> here it goes this is bad petty oster cooper with the motor pool oh okay i'm thinking well you know we don't all have cell phones in those days you don't even have phones in your house so i'm thinking well yeah. i need to talk to my Air Force Colonel that I work for, it was a major at the time. So Air Force Major, my boss. So, yeah. you know, I'm trying to send first thing Monday morning. This was like a Saturday night. First thing Monday morning, we're there early. And as soon as he walks in, I go, boss, this, this is what happened. You know, obviously there's going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah. About, about 45 minutes later, he comes out and he's like, <clears throat> got your class A's, which of Ooh. course that's not what we call, not what yeah. we call them in the Navy, but yeah, yeah we always had, yes, yes, sir, yes. Get them on. Oh, going, no. We're going down to the, uh, well, well, it was the three stars office. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good times. Yeah. He, see, whatever he was, the chief of staff, whatever, the third, the three star, he was the second in charge of the whole base. And I'm like, oh, God, here we go. <laughs> I'm like, well, it is what it is. You know, so I'm, we didn't, you know, what could you do? So put your, put your uniform on. We walk all the way down the hill and a massive stuff. So we go into this office and we're, in the outer office, of course, and his aide is like, okay, well, we're waiting. The, me and the major walk in. And he's like, okay, wait here for a minute. We're waiting on one more, one more person. I'm like, what the hell are we waiting on, you know? <laughs> oh, okay. So in walks this 
dude with cameras around us like a photographer. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what? And we get called into the three stars office and literally got called to attention and I'm getting a joint service um, <laughs> commendation medal. I'm like, Very nice. What? I'm thinking I'm about to get fired. Yeah. And this guy's giving me a joint service commendation medal right there. I mean, this happened Saturday night and I'm getting this thing Monday morning. Dang, like, that's really cool. What? And he's like, yeah, um, obviously the ambassador said it had to happen and you made it happen. Didn't matter. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm telling you, well, you know, the funny part, sir, is the, the, the four stars wife standing over there telling the protocol officer, the rent a car company is not going to be happy about this. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, we heard about that. And I'm like, well, sir, that one Mercedes was the only one of those 17 cars that we actually own at the motor pool. That was her car. Oh, wow. That's the car that she normally gets transported in. So, yeah, I destroyed our car, not one of the rental car companies. <laughs> <laughs> he just thought that was funny as hell. She didn't even recognize her own car. Yeah. But, nope. <clears throat> nope. <laughs> so that was ours. But, yeah. That's so, yeah, funny. it was kind of funny. I, I always tell people, they're like, what is that metal for? Oh, that's for destroying a Mercedes. <laughs> <laughs> your your uh, Mercedes uh, uh, metal right there. I like it. Yeah. They should have at least put, you know, a little hood emblem in there or something. But, no, yeah, that was yeah. I'm like, that was, you know, but that taught me something uh-huh. coming back as the more senior you get, you realize that I don't know how they've done it. And a lot of the commands I went to, you do patrols, you do things. And, mm-hmm. and then at the end of patrol, they all want to get together and say, let's come up with an award package. You know, yeah. well, I'm thinking, well, that's good in a way. But when somebody that taught me, because what that meant to me at the time, getting it mm-hmm. like that, I said, it's better off to do an, an award, even if I had to do the paperwork later, mm-hmm. you tell the captain, we're, we're going to give this person an achievement medal like today. Yeah. They've done this yesterday. They, and when it's fresh in everybody's mind shows people that you really did, you're not just giving them one because it's part of a package. Yeah, that's, absolutely. that's what I really taught me. And I use that <clears throat> so much later on in life that that's, that's what an award is supposed to be. Make mm-hmm. somebody feel they really earned an award and they've done something and they, you actually recognized them, not, well, I had to think about who do I give a medal to. Right. So, yeah. you know, a citation to or something. So yeah, that, and that's, that was why that one meant more than the rest of them to me because of how I got it and, and the way, and that three star was just a phenomenal guy. I mean, that's when I learned that, you know, back in the day, I'm kind of, ooh, I'm kind of scared of high ranking. Well, no, he's a great guy. Well, first of all, why would, what, what reason would he have to not be a great guy to a junior yeah. sailor? I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. if something's wrong, he's not going to take it out on me. So <laughs> True. I'm going, you know, he's got a chain of command too. He's going to take care of that. So, so yeah. but no, he was just a great guy. Um, that was general, general Thomas, three-star army general. I'm, okay. I'm sure he made it for, but that was general Thomas. I will never forget him. I've got a, a plaque in my house that has a little piece of what looks like a rock or a piece of broken up cement. Uh-huh. attached to it, just a tiny piece. And it says it's a piece of the wall that you helped bring down. So we were uh-huh. there when they brought down the, the wall in Germany. And oh, very cool. he gave a few of us a piece of that rock with that pocket. So that was, huh. yeah. So that, that, that was really cool. Yeah. I got a piece of the rock and he says the piece of the wall you helped to bring down. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It so, is. yeah. So, hey, yeah. Hey, so, Hey Doug, um, mm-hmm. We're, we're uh, just over at the hour mark. So, so what I want to do is uh, we're, we're going to end this one here and then uh, I'll start up uh, and we'll do another one uh, here shortly. 
Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna end this one real quick. Uh, to all the listeners, thanks for listening. Stay motivated. Change your socks. To all the listeners out there, I want to thank you for joining us on today's podcast. As a reminder for all veterans, if you are struggling and need assistance in any way, please reach out for help. The VA has an incredible website and helplines to assist you in your time of need. Just go to the veteranscrisisline.net. That's the veteranscrisisline.net. There are several ways of reaching out for assistance through the VA. For a crisis emergency, just dial 988 and then press 1. Again, dial 988 and then press 1. You can also chat online by going to veteranscrisisline.net and clicking on the chat icon. You can also text for assistance at 838-255. Again, that's 838-255. All calls are confidential and you only have to discuss what you feel comfortable discussing. If you are in need of help, don't hesitate to call. You matter to me and all of your veteran community. One veteran suicide is one too many. Thanks again for tuning in. Don't forget, there are new episodes of the Lost Art with Andrew Cox podcast daily, Monday through Friday. Stay motivated and change your socks.